I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Playing It Safe podcast. Today, my guest is Natasha Daniels. You may know Natasha from the AT Parenting Community. It's a community for parents of children and teens struggling with OCD and anxiety. And this is a super special conversation because Natasha is very down to earth and very real. And she shares with us how she manages the fears of not feeding in a group or being rejected or being socially isolated. Now, this is a super important topic because at some point in our life, we all get scared about not fitting in with our peers, with our colleagues, with our friends. We all get scared about rejection. And the challenge is that if we don't pay attention to how we're handling that fear, that anxiety in a social situation, we ended up engaging in all types of playing it safe behaviors that narrow our social life and lead us to feel much more lonely. You will hear the difference between introversion and social anxiety. And you will also hear different micro skills to practice exposure, some tips to approach social situations in which you feel scared or you feel anxious and how Natasha practices acceptance. And you will also hear me mentioning some tips for you to practice acceptance and facing these fears in social situations based on acceptance and commitment training. Now let's jump onto the episode and I wish you a great week. And maybe I can start by asking about how you relate to some of these Plenty safe moves that we all do when we are scared of being judged or being criticized or being excluded in a social setting. I know for me as an immigrant and having English as my second language, when I came to the country, I didn't feel that I fit in. I couldn't talk. It was really hard. And in a group setting, I was very shy about talking and saying the wrong thing with a terrible accent. So I kind of like play it safe by not saying anything. So I'm just curious how it was for you if you relate to something like that. Yeah, and I love your accent. Just the idea of going into a social situation, like an unstructured social situation, I, I would just avoid. I would play it safe by avoiding. Um, I still find myself avoiding and having to really push myself through because I'll come up with excuses why I don't need to go that have un that's that's unrelated to my social anxiety so I can feel better about myself. How is for you when you think about attending one of these unstructured social events? What does your mind tell you in those moments? How does it feel? Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people will say, I can't believe you have social anxiety or you say that you do, but I see you 
you know, online, I see you on YouTube or, you know, my podcast, you talk to lots of people. And I think what they don't understand that it's, it's structured. And so it's the fear of rejection. So when I think of going to a party, if it's now I have rules in my head. So if I go to a party that is less, you know, like a small group, I'm okay. Cause I think, well, nobody, you know, people aren't going to pair off, you know, we'll all talk as a group. So it's really those larger places that are unstructured, um, mainly like a bigger party or a bigger social gathering. Um, like when people say like, we're just going to do like an icebreaker cocktail meeting beforehand, like I will get sweaty and like, okay, well, I know I won't be able to make that, you know, because, and I'll think of a reason. And I think the story I tell myself is um, everybody's going to know each other or everybody's going to want to talk to somebody else. And I will look like, I think the ultimate thing is I will look like a loser. I will be rejected. I will sit there standing there. I won't know how to handle that. I don't know how to start conversations. And I will sometimes even feel like I have a full-blown anxiety attack and then feel really um, like it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. If I can ask a little bit more, when your mind tells you I will be a loser, I may be rejected, how do you handle those thoughts? How do you handle those stories? Um, well, in the past, I would handle it by just avoiding. <laughs> you know, so, so I, you know, I think part of my fear is that people are going to realize how uncool I really am. <laughs> That's like my thought is like, you know, especially now that I have a persona, like a out, outside face um, in those like social situations, it's even more anxiety producing. Cause I fear, I fear like, oh, they're going to see like nobody actually talks to Natasha or she's not really part of the group, which definitely comes back to my own like childhood history and social anxiety and all that kind of stuff. Um, but now I say, um, yeah, people may or may not talk to me and that's okay. And I can sit here and I can be okay um, because I am introverted. And so I've been trying to embrace that too and saying, uh, I am an introverted person. So I'm not going to go talk to 500 million people. I don't want a, a million people surrounding me. And so it, I'm not going to be this like gregarious outgoing person who's going to get people. So I start to be able to say, it's okay to just sit here. It's not fun. I'll tell you that, but it, I will survive it. In some way, it looks like you have learned to sit with the discomfort that comes with those thoughts and also approach instead of avoid. Yeah. I still don't love it. I'm not skipping to a party, <laughs> but sometimes they're unavoidable, you know, and sometimes I'll do things just because I know I have to practice what I preach and I have to sit in my discomfort. I think that's one of the things that sometimes we may confuse. Um, sometimes we may think that by doing what's important to us and facing our fears, worries, and anxieties, it's going to be pain-free, but it's not. We don't love it. We don't like it, but we let to say yes to the yucky stuff that comes in these public situations. If I can unpack a little bit what you shared, you say, I am an introverted person and have these fears of being rejected or being uncool in an instructional social gathering. For people who are listening to us, if you have to share with them the distinction between introversion and social anxiety, what will you tell them? I think people may assume quickly that if a person is introverted, that means that they have social anxiety or vice versa. Yeah, I think it's a big misnomer. I think a lot of people think they're synonymous and they're not. I mean, my daughter, like all of us, um, my kids and me, we all have social anxiety and it shows up and manifests in different ways. My youngest is incredibly outgoing. 
and also struggles with social anxiety. And so, um, to be introverted, I I have a, a good example. I went to a business conference a long time ago and I was partnered with this woman in my, um, in my hotel room, which was part of my exposure. She didn't realize it, but I signed myself up for this and I got like a roommate to really make myself feel incredibly uncomfortable, which was successful. And she was, you know, initially I thought, oh, I think I found someone else who has social anxiety. She was very quiet. She wasn't really like communicating too much with me. And, um, but then I saw her throughout that weekend at the conference and she would be sitting on the grass with a book. And at first I felt horrible. And I thought, oh my gosh, I should go up to her. She has no one to sit with. And then I realized she is really enjoying her space and her time in the middle of all this chaos. She's sitting there reading and she's looking so peaceful. She wasn't looking up to see if anyone was looking at her, all the things I would do. Um, And me, I would have a phone out to look busy instead of a book because Mm -hmm. that would be impossible. And I would be concerned what people would think about that. And so the difference is she's an introvert. She didn't, she needed to recharge at lunch. She needed to she was okay in her own skin. She wasn't worried about what people were thinking while she was sitting there. She just needed her time to recharge. So when you're an introvert, you know, you need, you get depleted around other people and you get recharged by your own space, your own time. You can get overstimulated. A lot of introverts have social anxiety, but not all of them because social anxiety is the fear of rejection. And so it's the fear of criticism, regardless of your personality. My daughter is incredibly outgoing, Mm -hmm. but she worries that other people are going to judge her or what if she throw it? She's a metaphobia. What if people, what if she throws up and then people are going to not like her anymore? Um, but she can, she can be the life of the party, which is mortifying for me if I'm with her, but you know, mm-hmm. I appreciate the distinction you're making. And I absolutely relate to that. I think it's a misconception that when a person is introverted, they have social anxiety. It could be, but it's not a norm for everyone. I know sometimes I think of myself as a social introverted. I know my personality comes across as this social butterfly, um, which I'm definitely, I'm curious about people. I like to connect. I like to have intimate connections with people. But there is also a part of me that I do need to recharge. I need to have a quiet, mellow time and just be okay with myself. Otherwise, I do feel emotionally depleted if I have a lot of social gatherings, let's say every single day, I do feel emotionally exhausted. Yeah, I think it's helpful to clarify for people that you can be extremely outgoing, you may like to connect with others, that doesn't mean that you're not introverted. And it doesn't mean that you have social anxiety. If I can ask a little bit more, you mentioned this phase of being a loser, rejected, being uncool, and you have done an incredible job facing all of that. If people are listening to us and they are dealing with all these fears, what would be your advice? How do you think they can tackle these fears? I think it's a work in progress. And so I think that that's something that I've had to remind myself um, is that it's a, it's a practice of being, it's not an end goal, you know, and you have to show up every day. And so it's, it's very much like mindfulness or meditation. It's like every day I have to intentionally say, um, lean into my fears or lean into something that's making me uncomfortable. But ironically, what I found um, is that, and this is going to sound cheesy, but it's really honestly, the thing that has helped me the most is, is self-love. So when I have, when I like myself and I truly like myself, not for the validation of what other people can bring me, whether it's friends, a partner or strangers, especially, but I have, I have a baseline of self-love and self-compassion that says, I love the way I look. I love my quirkiness. I love who I am. 
And if you don't love me or you don't even like me, that's more of a you problem than a me problem. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't rock my world. So if I sit there in a room and I'm not feeling compelled to talk to anyone or no one's feeling compelled to talk to me, that's a neutral thing. It's all the stories that, that can be put on top of that. But if I love myself and I say no one defines me in here and I'm confident with who I am, then I can get through it. And Mm -hmm. that's something I have to remind myself every day. It's not something that I'm like, I'm killing, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm nailing this. It's just something I have to work on every day is that self-compassion. Within ACT, within acceptance and commitment therapy, one of the processes that we try to emphasize is self-compassion, but also self-acceptance of who we are as container of these stories, not as people defined by those stories. And I think many times, if you look at the literature on self-esteem, the idea has been that you have to change your beliefs about who you are so you can have high self-esteem and then you will do better. But reality is that to be human is to have these stories, these fears of being uncool, these fears about being rejected, these fears about not being good enough. So if you think about self-love or self-acceptance, how did you learn that? What was your process? Given that no matter we are 30, 40, 50, 60, our mind will come with stories like that. And I like how you're putting that, you know, because it's not cheerleading yourself, you know, like I, you know, I look like I'm, you know, 21 and, you know, I am brilliant. And like, you know, that false puffer fish kind of attitude of, let me tell myself how amazing I am. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's leaning into, into your imperfections. I don't know. That's what I've done is, um, this is going to sound, this is way too much information <laughs> Why not? because that's what I do. Realness. I appreciate your realness always. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's about to get too raw and real, but like, Mine is like even some, a lot of body image as I get older and, um, which wasn't my social anxiety themes earlier, but I would avoid looking at myself naked. You know, I didn't have like a full length mirror in my room, not on purpose. It's just, there was not one on the door and we never put one in. And now, you know, as part of my self-acceptance is staring at myself fully Mm -hmm. and appreciating, you know, not lying and saying, Oh, you know, your butt looks great. But to say like, my legs are giving me strength. You know, I watched a movie recently where like this woman lost her legs and she was like in a wheelchair and like just that gratitude of, you know, my legs can hold me up and they're not going to be beautiful. And you know what? That's okay. Like I'm aging and that's okay. And so I think that's just an example, you know, that's just a very physical example, but uh, you know, if I misspeak and I say the wrong word, or if I say something to someone, my brain wants to ruminate over that and go over and over wow, you know, that was awkward. Or you just used the wrong word. Did she notice? And now, you know, I just have that alternative voice in my head that says, yeah, you probably did, but who cares? Like move on, move on. Life, life is short. We don't have time to ruminate on this. So I think that, um, that, that is one way that I'm working on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just want to say with a lot of appreciation, how much I admire how real you are and how honest you are. Um, so I think many times we keep these fears in secret or very privately, and then we feel more ashamed about who we are because right. we are hooked at these stories. So thank you for bringing a lot of realness to that conversation. I love what you say that these days when your mind comes with these criticizing thoughts or these harsh thoughts, you say, okay, let's move on. Who cares? And I know for me within ACT, the question is, how do I want to relate to this story? What's really important for me? 
Do I want to spend a lot of time ruminating and criticizing myself over and over? Or do I want to pay attention to the conversation I'm having with Natasha? So I think the values piece has been helpful. However, one of the challenges that comes many times is that our mind runs comparison thoughts. I am not as good as this person. I don't look as good as this other person. This person has more friends than myself. So how will you handle those comparison thoughts that also come with these fears of being uncool or being rejected? I feel like you can't get rid of them and, and you can't ignore them. You know, I feel like me just, you know, putting a bandaid on it, they don't go away. And I can't sugarcoat them and lie to myself because I'm, you know, I'm me. So I get that I'm lying or it's, I'm not buying what I'm trying to sell. And mm-hmm. so I think it is acknowledging um, and having that conversation with myself not fighting it. So if I say, you know, you don't know as many people or you're not as cool, you're not as connected. I'll say, yeah, you're not. And Mm -hmm. you're choosing to spend your time doing this, this, and this, and that's more of a value for you. And that's okay. And so I do need the reframe in my head, but a lot of times my reframe is an acceptance type of reframe. Yeah. Yeah. And for people who doesn't know about an acceptance type of reframe, how will that sound? If I am next to you and your mind says like, oh my gosh, Natasha, you're not as cool as this other person. How will the acceptance reframe look and sound? Uh, you know, normally I, I don't fight it. So it might, I might say something like, yeah, you know, you really aren't. Um, and that's okay because <laughs> you are you, you know, you don't value that. You don't, and normally I'll say something like, well, you don't spend all your time doing X, Y, and C to, you know, A, look that way or B, be that connected. Um, or, you know, maintain that social connection, you know, I'll, I'll say something as far as the actions that I'm not taking, because I don't value that. And, mm-hmm. and then I'm okay with it. Cause I'm like, yeah, I don't. And that's okay. You mm-hmm. know? And so that's kind of my reframe on that. And because I've been working on it, I tend to accept that more. What happens when it doesn't feel right? I know for me, sometimes my mind, of course, compares myself with hundreds of people. And sometimes, even though I am, noticing this comparison story and I'm just noticing perhaps the sadness that comes with it and I try to make room for it without fighting it it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel okay so I move into asking myself what's important for you Patricia right now what do you really want to be paying attention to but for people who practice this acceptance-based reframe and it feels off it doesn't feel so good what will you tell them? What will you encourage them to try? I, I can only say for me, you know, and for me, I like, I, I, I notice it because if I don't notice it, then it will keep coming back. And if I try to fight it, so sometimes it's just recognizing, um, wow, we're bringing up that conversation again in our head, you know, mm-hmm. happened five hours ago, you know, that's it. Cause this is what I would do. Like, you know, I kind of lament over something I said, or um, a conversation or interaction I had with someone socially. And so I noticed that and I kind of talk externally to myself because that's what I do. You know, um, you're really not letting that go. You're really bringing that up again. And just noticing it sometimes is enough, you know, to just not do anything with it. Just notice it and then, you know, go for a walk or I'll go, you know, do something else. And then, you know, sometimes if it keeps coming up, I feel like I have to do another reframe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that may have sounded stupid, but okay, so what? You know, we've been carrying that conversation for eight hours and it, it lasted 10 minutes. Let's put that conversation down now because really who cares? And so sometimes I can do a second reframe in my head if I'm carrying it. But lately, luckily I've been 
not holding it on for as long as I used to. It's really incredible how when we learn to respond to our thoughts without fighting them, but just developing a new response to them, it can be liberating. We can actually spend our time and energy in doing things that we really care about. Sometimes I have to do a lot of reframes, like maybe two, three, four, five times sometimes during the day. And it's interesting to see which one for me, like which ones get stuck, because then it says something to me about where I need to do the work. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, I'm still holding on to that one. So there's something there, you know, that, that I need to notice yeah. that is still there for me. Can we actually chat a little bit about it? Because you're right. As the mind comes with a lot of stories, like I am uncool, I'm going to be rejected. I think as long as we keep moving on in life, there are going to be new stories that the mind is going to come up with. And sometimes some of them may be more sticky than others. This story of this fear of being rejected, it's a big one, right? It's, I think, at the core of many struggles that we have. How do you relate to it these days? I know you're using these acceptance-based frames. You have done a lot of work. You're doing your own exposures, facing situations, creating exposures for yourself. But how, is there anything else that you have found helpful to relate to this fear of rejection or being uncool? Uh, You know, I think, this past year, it allowed me actually to see things as less important. And mm-hmm. so spending so much energy and so much time worrying about someone's approval, wh- whether that's a partner's approval or a peer's approval or a friend's approval or society's approval, that you're not really living in the moment and not living in the present. And so I'm not enjoying anything because I'm too consumed with thinking about maybe what already happened or what is currently happening. Like you said, when you're talking to someone and you're in your head so much, you're not even enjoying the conversation you're having. Mm -hmm. And that's, people can notice that when you're not present. I mean, I notice it when other people aren't present because my social anxiety will definitely point it out, but (laughs) (laughs) she's looked away two times. She is totally not interested in this conversation. Pretty, uh, unfortunately I'm pretty on target. So that's, you know, that's, that's not a really positive, uh, uh, super skill, but not good to be t- so aware that you notice everything, but I don't, I don't give a crap anymore. Excuse mm-hmm. me. I just don't care. You know, and I think when you have had trauma or you've had loss in a weird silver lining sort of way, it takes you to the next level of, I need to take care of myself. Yeah. I need to support myself and caring what other people think to the detriment of myself and my happiness it's not going to happen anymore. So I get ferociously protective of myself. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And it clearly has made a huge impact in your life. I think it's petrifying to perceive rejection, to feel rejection, and to walk into a social setting with a mind that tells you, watch out if you are rejected. One of the things that I have found helpful for me has been asking myself, what's behind this fear of being rejected? What's the value there? What is this pain showing me? And many times I tap into how much I value intimate connections, how much I care for getting to know people, even though I'm petrified about being rejected. And then when I tap into the value, what's behind this fear of rejection, then I can choose a values-based move, which is approach with openness, not with judgment or with self-criticizing thoughts. We don't have to be dominated by this fear of rejection. We can handle it in different ways that help us to be who we want to be. 
And along those lines, if people decide to face this fear of rejection, what will you tell them if they want to tackle and they want to develop a new relationship with this fear of rejection? Will you encourage them to do some exposures or not? And how will they look? Yeah. Well, and I want to go back to what you just said really briefly. Of course. Because when I was, I was listening to what you're saying, and I feel like for me, it wasn't even a value behind the fear of rejection. It was another fear, which was, I will not be able to tolerate the discomfort of being alone. Yeah. So once I embraced that, which leads into exposures, right? I'd put myself in situations where I was alone. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes I continue to be alone. That wasn't the point. It wasn't to prove to me that I won't be alone. It was to prove to me that I can sit in a crowded room and be alone. And once I realized mm-hmm. I can, okay. um, and I do recommend that doing exposures for whatever is your core fear or like your, um, the thing that's driving that discomfort and to prove to yourself that you can, you can tolerate it. Then the values of being able to go to my children's birthday parties and not having to like, you know, I don't have a partner anymore to, to go with me, but he would go with me because I couldn't tolerate the discomfort of sitting there with a bunch of other women, not talking to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Exposures are, were huge. Thank you for having that part because I think many times when we're dealing with all types of fears, worries, and anxiety, we also have the thoughts that says, I cannot handle this. I won't be able to handle that. Academically, people have talked about that way of thinking as underestimating our ability to cope. And I think for people listening to the podcast, let's really be clear that you cannot handle that thought by dealing with it in your head. You will handle that thought that I cannot handle this, or in this case, I cannot handle being alone by putting yourself out there, by taking action. Right. It's once we take action, then we develop a new relationship, which is what you did, right? right. Uh, and which is, I, I keep doing too, every single day too. <laughs> like every single day, it's like an exposure center many times. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the to recommendation about exposures in which we put ourselves out there, I think it's important to do it hopefully without using any safety crutches. Mm-hmm. It's very common that if you are afraid of being lonely, we may have a cell phone next to us, so we look busy and occupied, or we may be listening to music, or we have always a glass of water. So I think the idea is to really make room to that fear of being in our own without any safety crutches to the best we can, right? Now, let me ask a little bit more. Sometimes people say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to go this afternoon to the train station. I'm going to be by myself for two hours. But then what happens is that they get much more scared. What would you recommend them? If they are willing to face their exposures to tackle this fear of rejection, this fear of being alone, how would you recommend them to approach this exposure so they don't push themselves into the burning out zone? Yeah, I think it is dipping your toe in. I know for me, I started with... um, playing these mental games where I had to say something, I had to make small talk when I checked out of the grocery store and, Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that was a facing rejection. She may not want to talk to me or I may look stupid because starting conversations was hard for me too. And then, um, and so I think you want to set yourself up for success because if you, if you take, if you bite off too much, you might, you might not want to do another exposure. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, you don't want to shut yourself down. I have done that where I've gone so far. I I want future Natasha to do this again. 
you know, and so I have to entice her on some level. That's right. That's beautiful to really step back and check why am I doing this exposure? Why am I willing to be in my own today? Is that to get rid of the feeling or is that because it will help me to be who I want to be? I think when we ask ourselves those questions before jumping into the exposure, the likelihood of our future selves doing more of the exposures is higher than just powering into the exposure. Um, Natasha, we're running out of time. And again, I'm very appreciative of all your openness and how real you are. That has been always my experience since I met you. Um, <laughs> I have one more question. If you were to have a cup of coffee or tea or a beer with any person you want today, who will that be and why? Oh my gosh. Well, (laughs) I mean, I'm going to give the predictable answer, which would be my husband, you know, because I can't talk to him anymore. And I think, you know, we take advantage of the fact that we have people in our lives on a daily basis and Um, that we have many, many more conversations with them and we leave things unsaid or unprocessed. And so that would be a really good long cup of coffee. My heart goes to you for all you went through last year. And please know that you are loved. And I hope in some way you're finding ways to still remain in contact with Jimmy because I know he was a very special person for you. On that note, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much again for chatting with me. Thank you for having me. You know, I always love talking to you. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website, playingitsafe.zone. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon!